For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God come with power. Glory to you, Lord. Glory to you, Lord. Peace be to you who reads the good tidings unto all the people. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. <coughs> so my dear brothers and sisters, we find ourselves at the midway point during Lent. And the fathers of the church have placed the feast of the veneration of the cross right in the middle. They know that this is a time or a season of emphasis on our repentance on understanding that each one of us has been affected by the fall and that Christ has emptied himself, taken on the form of a servant, become a human being, a part of his creation because he loves us so much and that he willingly, out of that love, ascends the cross that he might once and for all destroy death that he might once and for all overcome sin, that he might defeat the devil, and that he might bestow upon us life through his third day resurrection. And so the cross is going to be placed in the middle of the church after we process with it around the inside of the church for all of us to see and we are called to venerate it. I mentioned to somebody before the Orthos even began that the cross at the time of Christ in the hands of the Romans was certainly not something that people would think of venerating. It was the worst form of capital punishment that existed. It was a public, humiliating, excruciatingly painful, slow, but effective deterrent to crime. People, when they saw the cross then, they always saw someone hanging from it, either dying or dead. It was always placed on public byways and highways, where everybody had to pass by and see. So for us to venerate the cross means that something significant and powerful and life-changing has happened to change our perception of this symbol. We call it an invincible trophy. And it's not that we want to hang it around our necks as much as we want it to hang next to our hearts, that we put it on chains. 
Sometimes we don't think about that connection. We want the cross next to our heart. Because the cross is, as St. Paul said in his first letter to the Corinthians, the power and the wisdom of God. I would add to that that it is the supreme sign of God's love for mankind, and it is the supreme sign of Jesus Christ's love for His Father. You cannot adore or love or venerate the cross. You cannot see it as the power and the wisdom of God. You can't see it as an invincible trophy unless you see in it the obedience of Jesus Christ in every way to His Father. And in the same way, our obedience in every way that makes us truly and uniquely and authentically human to Jesus Christ, the Father, and the Holy Spirit. I've often said that the commandments of God are not for God's sake. The commandments of God are for our sake. That if we follow them, that is what keeps us and makes us truly human, acting according to our nature. When we disobey the commandments of God, it's not breaking laws. It's not hurting God's feelings for His sake. It means that we are acting in a way that is contrary to our nature. Why do I say this? Because if we don't understand this, then we can't understand what it means to be obedient to God. Obedience to God leads to life. It leads to freedom. It leads to illumination. It leads to purity. It leads to the abundant life that God so lovingly wants to bestow upon us. But in the world, the fallen world, this seems like foolishness. I want to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. For this is as true today as it was back then when St. Paul wrote it. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And down below, a little later in the same chapter, he adds not just the power of God, but the wisdom of God. To those who are perishing, it is foolishness. But to those who are being saved, it is power, it is wisdom, and it is life. So what, what do we mean? What is the cross for us? We know that Christ's cross was an actual crucifix. That He willingly ascended and then held His arms out and embraced the entire world. And He said, Come to Me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
I will take on all of the sin of the world. I will experience death so that I can unburden you, so that this can be for you forgiveness, so that the life that I end up living, this newness of life, can be shared with you. So we know that the cross for us, which we are called to lift up, is love for God, obedience to God, no matter what. This is why in Mark, the evangelist says, in the context of taking up our cross, he says, Whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. To love God and to be obedient to God in the face of a fallen world where the majority think that the cross is foolishness and a stumbling block. And they think that Christianity increasingly is a joke. That it is a narrow way of thinking. That it is stupidity. It is not enlightened. It is narrow. It is intolerant. It is passé. To be obedient to God and to love God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, no matter what, this is the cross of Christ. And the church is calling us today to kiss it, to kneel before it, to venerate it, to adore it, to hold it up high, to unfailingly, without fear, without intimidation, to bless ourselves with it. To live our life in a way that is in an imitation not only of Christ, but of all those who have been pleasing to Him in every generation. We might think that things are really tough today for Christians. And that they're getting increasingly difficult. But we can say that that was also true in the first century when all of this was written. When Christ said... That if you do not take up your cross, you are not worthy of me. That was in a day when to take up your cross literally meant everywhere that you were by definition illegal. That you were literally putting your life on the line for being obedient to God and loving Him no matter what. So I want to close with some practical things. When we come to church, we are venerating the cross. When we read our Bibles, we are venerating the cross. When we see the image of God in our neighbor and we are self-sacrificial in the way that we act toward them for the sake of Christ... We are venerating the cross. When we bless ourselves with the sign of the cross, whether in private or in public, 
before our meal or after our meal. When we come before a church, when something happens and we want to thank God or we want to pray to God, we are venerating our cross. When we stand up for the faith that we hold in any way, by deed, by word, or by thought, we are venerating the cross. When we do not compromise our thinking or our way of life or the way that we act in the face of a current that is trying to take us in the opposite direction, we are venerating the cross. In the face of all of this that I'm talking about, increased secularism and even anti-Christian behavior, when we are studying and praying and fasting and giving alms and serving those who even are persecuting us, we are venerating the cross. When we are sharing the good news with those who are before us, who cross our paths, even taking the risk of being rejected, We are venerating the cross. My dear brothers and sisters who are parents or grandparents or mentors or older siblings, when you are being an example and passing on the faith that you have received down to those who are younger, intact, in a way that mirrors the fullness that we receive from Christ in every generation, you are venerating cross. So today, when we go around and you are all kneeling and we're processing with that cross held as high as we can and we place it in the middle of the church and at the end when you come and you kiss it and you receive a flower and some basil, I want you to think of all of these things in your everyday life. In season and out of season means when it's easy And when it's not easy, when it's accepted, when it's not accepted, when you're a part of the current, or when you're having to go against the current. The fear in the 21st century, not so much martyrdom, although we do see this happening, for sure. But the fear is compromise. The fear is to want to fit in, to be a part of the crowd. To be ashamed of our Lord in small ways, thinking that that's okay. But what that does, my dear brothers and sisters, is it breaks us down in the most important part of who we are, our heart and our soul. It erodes our very identity. It mars the image of God within us. It spiritually injures us in a way that is invisible, but extremely significant. We're aware of physical injuries and how they debilitate us, but we are not as aware of spiritual injuries that are very, very hard to recuperate from. The church in every generation from the time of Christ until the present day has always looked at denying Him as the worst thing a Christian could do because of the damage that it does to their heart and their soul. So my dear brothers and sisters, be afraid of compromise. To hold fast is to venerate the cross. 
And on this day, this is what the church is holding up for us to do. This beautiful, powerful cross, which is a symbol of God's love, His obedience, His power, His wisdom, and life. The very tree of life that was barred from Adam and Eve is the cross. The sign of the Son of Man on the second coming that will be seen by all in the sky will be the cross. So let us hold this invincible trophy high and kiss it, not only with our lips, but with the entirety of our lives. Amen.